Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. I am your host, Kyle Pagan. Hit that thumbs up for me if you're watching on YouTube. We're also trying out Twitter Spaces today. So welcome anyone listening over there. On today's show, we have the greatest Phillies manager of my lifetime, Charlie Manuel. Coming up at 1220, we'll talk some Phillies and his new t-shirt line he's doing with Hog Island Press for charity. But first, let's bring on, well, you're already here, uh, Bob Wankel to talk a little. Thank you. Yeah, you got to do the Collins. Uh, the Collins were sliding. Yeah, the sliding. do. Uh, which he actually has abandoned now, so I don't know how that's going to affect Sunday Night Football going forward, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, Vikings-Eagles this weekend. Eagles haven't won a Week 2 game since 2016. Shout out Devin Caney on that stat. They haven't won on Monday Night Football since beating uh, the Giants in 2019. Line opened at minus 2.5. It's now down to 2. The total sits at 50.5. Birds are minus 130 money line. And tomorrow on Crossing Broad, We'll have a promo for Barstool Sportsbook. Twenty dollars to win one fifty if either team makes a catch, and you use Broad Football one fifty to get that. So if Devontae Smith has a season high in catches tomorrow, you win. <laughs> what do you think about that? What's the uh, what's the bet that Big Bet Bob's going with uh, on Monday night with the Eagles? Uh, I will I will take that Barstool Sportsbook promo. Uh, I will go that the two teams combine for a catch, uh, twenty bucks to win one fifty. I'm in on that. So. That'll probably be my play. Listen, I like the Eagles uh, on on Monday night. I, I do um, quite a bit, actually, and we can dig into that a little bit later. But right off the bat, a lot of betters on Minnesota in this game. Right now, DraftKings taking a look at it live. 79% of all point spread bets right now are backing the Vikings, uh, which I, I think is which is pretty interesting. Uh, and so that's in real time as I'm looking at it. Number fluctuates, but... I'll be happy to go against the public in that game. Oh, hell yeah. I didn't know the public was all over the Vikings. I guess it was because the line went down. I'm an idiot. Uh, I mean, birds at the link Monday football, Monday night football, eight months since they played last at home. The crowd will be foaming at the mouth. Xfinity Live is celebrating their 10-year anniversary. I think they're doing a concert with some country singer if you want to go over and and look at that. Uh, Kirk Cousins and the the Vikings just emasculated a guy who I guess kind of looks like he – deals drugs to middle schoolers right now um eagles eagles win on the road d-line o-line don't look good i love the over uh kevin o'connell is a product of sean mcveigh he's got to be an offensive genius uh, i think nick sirianni with as much points as they put up last year i think he might actually turn jonathan gannon into a pre- into a pretzel kevin o'connell i like yeah. the over 51 and a half it's a, it's a little bit scary. I'll tell you what, though. I look at this game, and I think that there are a lot of people that are really concerned about how well Minnesota played and how good they looked mm-hmm. against Green Bay. I know a few people have talked about it this week, but you go back to week one last year. You had the Saints and Packers. Week one, New Orleans just absolutely demolishes Green Bay in that game. They win 38-3. to Everyone's got the Saints winning the NFC. The Packers are done. It's over. And, you know, you, you fast forward a week. And then the Saints go out and they lose 26 to 7 in their next game. They don't even have 135 yards of total offense. And so all of this is to say that it's kind of a weird spot for Minnesota because you play in prime time. It's a nationally televised game. So you would think, naturally speaking, that they would be up for the game. But I do wonder to what degree, after a massive opening week win at home against the Packers, a statement win. You know, I think that sometimes this stuff gets a little bit overblown, but context matters. Situations matter when it comes to betting and the ebb and flow of the NFL. You know, sometimes your eyes betray you. You see something one week and it just doesn't translate the next. And I would not be stunned whatsoever to see Minnesota be a little bit more flat in this game. And then the Eagles really coming out with something to prove. I mean, if you look at it from a motivational standpoint and something to prove, I think the Eagles are probably the team that has a little bit more on the line in this game. And so, you start to look at that, forget the matchups, but just from a purely motivational contextual spot, I like the Eagles in this game. Vikings letdown game or Jonathan Gannon bounce back game? Jonathan Gannon bounce back game. Maybe he was saving something. <laughs> I mean, listen, that was concerning. Certainly watching them tackle, watching the lack of pressure from the defensive ends in the game, you know, uh, on Sunday, not getting to Jared Goff, certainly concerning. But one thing that we have seen a little bit with this Eagles defense over the last number of years, really even going back to when Jim Schwartz was here, they are a different unit at home. Um, yeah, I mean, a much different unit. They've, they've played very well at Lincoln Financial Field for the most part. They have struggled. They have not traveled well this defense. There's still some parts that, you know, carry over. And so you wonder to what degree do they make some adjustments 
still do not have a very mobile option in the backfield, and you have to hope that you know those defensive ends turn it up a little bit on on Monday night. Also signed a defensive end from the Vikings to get all the intel secrets. I don't know how much we're kind of doing uh, a secrets of information versus secrets of information. Yeah, Rager gave them all the secrets. How he's ten steps ahead. He's getting all the secrets from the defensive line. How to stop Daniel Hunter. Um, what's a sucker bet? What's a sucker bet you have that you think people might be tailing uh, that you just like don't even don't even put some shackles on it? Yeah. So I actually uh, have to tell you, I'm a little bit the the other way on this. I think that everyone's going to totally react or overreact to what they saw uh, on Sunday from the Eagles defense. And I actually expect the Eagles defense to go out and play pretty well on Monday night. So I think that a lot of the yardage props like Justin Jefferson over yardage, I would go the other way. Um, I would actually go the other way on the Vikings team total. Uh, I, I think that the Eagles are, are, are going to show up. I actually think that this is going to be a lower scoring game. Um, Thanks. And, that, you know, it's so, somewhere in like the, the 24-16, 24-17 range. So I think that a lot of people are, are looking at those offensive weapons from Minnesota, looking at what the Eagles did in week one. And I think that that was really kind of a, a warm-up game. I, I and probably as critical on the Eagles as, as anybody. And I was very frustrated watching that game on Sunday unfold the way that it did. But I do think that there's something to be said for making a few splash plays, building a big lead on the road and escaping with a win where some really good teams around the league on Sunday didn't do that. And so I think the Eagles have positioned themselves pretty well. Uh, they're relatively healthy. I know Derek Barnett's no longer uh, part of the equation. I don't know to what degree that matters. And I just expect them to play pretty well with a lot of energy on, on Monday night. So I, I kind of would skew opposite uh, on the offense. That's just my opinion. It could be wrong. I've been wrong many times before. But I think a lot of people are, are going to jump all over these Minnesota player props, yardage totals, and, and I would go the other way. Yeah, I just think there's too many weapons in this game from Brown, from Cook, from uh, Justin Jefferson for, to Hertz, um, Dallas Goddard, Devontae Smith, I think, has – a bounce back game. I think they are going to listen to, you know, what the media and what the fans were saying about Devonte Smith and try to work him in early, get him in the groove and stuff. Um, I was, I was optimistic during the whole game, maybe because I thought it was the lions, maybe because I just am optimistic at heart. When I, when I watched the Eagles, I don't know why I never really felt like I was, I was worried even when it was kind of like 38 to 35 until I had to be worried. I, I, I wasn't really worried. I was worried when it looked like miles Sanders was going to get stopped at the backfield cuts, Cuts left, goes for uh, 40 yards. But um, my sucker bet this week is the over for total successful field goals at three and a half right now. Uh, Nick Sirianni doesn't kick field goals within the 45. Guy loves going forward on fourth down. So right there, you're taking out uh, uh, one team, basically. Uh, The juice is nice. It's at plus 117 on the over right now. Four field goals during a game does feel like nothing. Uh, but Kevin O'Connell's from the McVay train. You would think, hey, McVay, man, he always goes for it on fourth down. He actually really does it. He's actually uh, uh, not as aggressive as, as, as you would expect. Uh, Vikings kicker uh, is Greg Joseph. Um, for anyone out there that didn't know who the Viking kicker was, I didn't know probably about 20 minutes before this. Uh, he's good. He's good. He, 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 but like I said, I think it's going to be a shootout. I said, don't be a sucker. I think the under minus 155 is not too much juice uh, for an insane for, for, for that kind of bet. What do you think? You know what's what's really interesting about this game is that both offenses probably will be able to run the ball really well, and I don't know if that lends itself to points or if it if it doesn't. Um, I mean, you look at this, and you saw how how poorly uh, the Eagles' defensive line tackled, uh, how you know weak they were up front against Detroit. I mean, they got punched in the mouth quite a few times in that game. I mean, DeAndre Swift was just you know all over them in Week One. But what's really interesting and kind of got lost in the flow of the, the Packers-Vikings game is, you know, Green Bay could not throw the, the football at all. I mean, all offseason it was, you know, Devontae Adams isn't here. Uh, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have the rapport, the chemistry with, with these new wide receivers. And that certainly played out in week one. But because they fell behind and because they struggled to throw the ball to the extent they did, it's interesting if you look at how they ran the football against the Vikings in week one. I mean, they averaged their running backs, 15 carries, averaged 6.3 yards per carry on the ground in week one against that Minnesota front. So it wasn't that they were unable to run the football. It's just that they really weren't able to sustain drives and continue to, to you know, ram it on them. So I think it's going to be really interesting. You know what the Eagles running offense can do. Uh, it's a, one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL last year, and it certainly got off to a really good start on Sunday as well. And I, I wonder what that's going to do for the flow of the game. 
um, in terms of, you know, is this going to be wide open back and forth, Justin Jefferson, A.J. Brown, or is this going to really be a, you know, move the chains, gobble up time, gobble up yardage on the ground type of game? And I really think that the team that's able to stop the run here is going to be the team that, that ultimately wins this game. Well, it should be the Eagles because of all the defensive line adjustments that they made in the offseason. Am I crazy? Let's get a little crazy. Am I crazy for thinking if the Eagles win on Monday Night Football, I've got them going 8-1. and one. <laughs> Do you have a schedule? Do you want to – see, it's irresponsible to play the schedule it's game fine. in the spring when it comes out, but it's not irresponsible after one game in the, uh, in the regular season to do it. So, all right. Yeah, I mean, let's do it. I mean, I know the commanders in week three. You mm-hmm. know how I feel about Carson Wentz, so I'm mm-hmm. with you there. Well, commies, so commies in week three at at the commies, uh, Jaguars at home, Cardinals away, Cowboys at home, Steelers at home, Texans on a short week Thursday in Houston, and then commies again at home. I believe that's Sunday night football. Could be Monday night football. I forget. It's 8-15. Where are they not favored? Maybe against Arizona? They are not favored, I would imagine. If I mean, Right now, I believe they aren't on the advance lines favored against Arizona. That's probably the only one. Mm-hmm. You look at those matchups on an individual basis, I, I kind of feel like week three they go down there, and it's a game that you just, you're miserable for three hours mm-hmm. and 15 minutes, and they somehow exit with a win. I mean, it, it feels like it'll be that type of game. So my loss is down in Washington, or it's out to – Arizona. Out to Arizona, yeah. Yeah, I would say that right now Arizona is probably the most likely loss there. It's it's interesting. I mean, this is a schedule that shapes up pretty favorably. I mean, with Dak Prescott being out, you know, mm-hmm. you would assume he's going to be out in that first matchup. I know Jerry Jones seems to be a little bit more optimistic than science. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But, yeah, I mean, they have an opportunity here to really get out the gate strong. I mean, you look at the advanced odds on the, to win the NL – or, I'm uh, sorry, I'm still in baseball mode, the NFC East – and, I mean, it is totally flipped. I mean, the Eagles are a strong favorite after one week of football, uh, which you would say, is that an overreaction? And when you start to really size things up, it's hard to say that it is. So I know you're uh, – Jonathan Gannon needs fired, as they say in Appalachia. Shout out to our Appalachia co- correspondent, Kevin Kincaid, who's dealing with uh, local brewery issues right now from his uh, from his article on uh, CrossingBroad.com about Philly – uh, brewing companies, uh, hops getting destroyed by the city of Philadelphia. Uh, a, a title, a story that just writes itself, really, which is which is the beautiful. The Philadelphia, he actually took the approach that Philadelphia actually did something good for once. Um, I did want to ask you, you know, you're an animal. You, you're, you're, you're an animal, uh, admittedly, when you watch Eagles games. Uh, yeah. I know you said that you were, you know, eh, a little on the fence. But after, after, you, after you did watch that game uh, last Sunday, were you pissed off? Or were you kind of level-headed about the way they looked? Are you taking the Negadelphia approach, like these guys can't tackle, they're soft, they should have you know, tackled more in the spring? Or is it like, you know what, we got a road win, it's hard to win on the road? What were you like? Yeah, I think I was probably more that. Uh, I don't know. Um, to be honest with you, I mean, there are obviously things that are agitating. You see that 51-yard run on the opening drive, and you're like, come on, man. Like, you know, we're, we're three minutes in real time into this season and instantly agitated. <laughs> Uh, which is you know, there was like a thing for about two years with the Eagles like they would not allow you to go eight consecutive minutes and enjoy a game like it was impossible mm-hmm. something would happen 2020 uh, so was not- the worst year of my life and not yeah. because of the COVID it was because <laughs> of Carson Wentz yeah. so uh but yeah I think maybe I've I've tried to mature a little bit as a football viewer but it hasn't gone too well I was I was a little bit agitated watching that game but I do think that when you kind of catch your breath and you take the take stock and take overview of the situation you you look at it and say listen I mean that was a team that forget hard knocks like as somebody that worked for NFL films for six years uh NFL films job is to make teams and players look good that's what producers do that's the show Mm -hmm. and there is some young talent there I I like the the Harry High School stuff that Dan Campbell does to an extent I don't know what the sustainability of that is but if there was one thing that you could count on coming into that game on Sunday was that the crowd was going to be amped up they were going to be loud as hell and that they were going to compete and be physical and when you look at the approach that the Eagles took this offseason you knew that they would probably be a little bit of, you know, a step behind, a step slow, probably a little bit tired late in the game. But you can't argue with that approach because, one, the NFL, by and large, is trending in that direction. And you're going to get more of a player buy-in by doing it. And number two, they were relatively healthy going into that game. And I think that at the end of the day, that's what's most important. So 
the fact that they were able to go into a tough environment against a team that they destroyed a season ago, which contextually I think is tough to come back and try to do that again. Um, and a team that was just totally amped up. I think it was pretty impressive in a way that they were able to build the lead that they did and then, you know, find a way at the end of the game to, to win. And there's something to be said for that. You know, I always go back to 2017, right? And like, I'm not telling you the Eagles are going to win the NFC, win the Super Bowl, but week three of 2017, they play the Giants. It's like 105 degrees at Lincoln Financial Field. They're a pretty heavy favorite. Like people thought they were going to win that game pretty handily. They didn't, you know, it was a tough game. They need the, the bomb field goal by Jake Elliott at the end. Mm-hmm. And what did that do? It propelled them forward. They found a way to win a game late, gain some confidence and use that for momentum moving forward. And then they started to, by the middle of the season, really get confident, hit their stride and start blowing the doors off of teams. They don't win that game week three. You know, hey, you don't know exactly what the trajectory of that season's going to be. So I think that there's definitely something for teams that are young, you know, the Eagles have some veterans, but there's still a lot of young guys there that need to kind of prove to themselves that we can win in different environments and in tight, tight spots. And I think that, you know, you have to credit them for that. And it may translate moving forward. Yeah, I mean, no better than this week. I mean, I think this is a, I think this is a, a big game, a bigger game than I thought uh, I originally circled. On the uh, on the schedule, I think with the Vikings coming out and stuff, if they can win this game and they can win this game even close, they can win it handily. I think there are going to be a lot of people, uh, maybe looking at flights uh, to Glendale, Arizona. I agree, and I will say just one other note on that. I think that one of the most interesting things is how tolerable will we be as media people for the next two months if they don't win this game? Because you just saw the schedule, right? We just put it on the board. Let's say they lose on Monday night, but then they beat the Commanders and they beat the Texans and, you know, the Cowboys without Dak Prescott. What are we going to say when they're when they're six and two or, you know, uh, seven and one? You know, we're going to say, well, who did they beat? This is what mm-hmm. we saw last year. They couldn't beat good teams, but they could beat the bad ones. Like we still don't know what the Eagles are. And we're going to have to listen to that crap for, you know, two and a half months if they don't take care of business in this game. So I think it's really important for everybody's sanity and getting rid of that storyline, which is definitely going to linger if they play poorly on Monday night. Well, speaking of people who had to listen to crap when things may went south or maybe there are some slow starts, I want to welcome on the greatest manager in Philly sports history in my lifetime we've got Charlie Manuel Charlie yes how are you man we were just talking about uh we were just talking about Negadelphia and sometimes when you get off to a slow start in the Eagles games and whatnot sometimes in the Philly season it's just no holds barred on the radio do you remember that finally (laughs) yeah yeah I I kind of I can relate to it when especially when you bring it up yeah (laughs) Where are you? Uh, where are you at right now? You down in Florida? Yes, I just got home from Philadelphia yesterday, and I'm uh, I'm in Winter Haven, Florida, and I'll be coming back up to Philadelphia about the twenty second of the month. All right, just in time for the playoff run. We fishing, we golfing. How we hitting? How they catching down there? Well, I uh, I played golf the other day in Philadelphia, and right now uh, I'm just uh, waiting to, to go back up there. I'm trying to do some things around my house here, and in yeah. uh, uh, like you said, you know, like uh, Philly's uh, playoffs uh, coming up, you know, like we definitely uh, looks like we're going to get in. And also I'll be staying and probably watching it. I love that. No, that definitely. I mean, the Phillies are, are eight games back uh, from the Mets right now. They win tonight and the Mets lose. They're only seven game back with three weeks to play, which is very good math on my part. Um, you know a little bit about being seven games back from the Mets with three weeks to go in the season. Yeah. I know uh, you predicted at least 90 wins for the team, and that means they'd have <laughs> to play 500 ball for the last 20 games of the season. Do we want to make some headlines and update that prediction a little bit? Maybe 93, maybe 95. Maybe they'll catch the Mets if you're feeling crazy. No, you know, uh, when, when when I think about it, you know, like in where they're at, uh, for them this time of the year, there's there's teams out there, say like Miami and uh, – uh, uh, team Washington, you know, like the teams that are playing, actually playing their young players and playing for next year, and but they're dangerous and, and you know, like they have nothing to lose and sometimes, you know, like they'll take chances that they that they wouldn't take during a regular season and and they can come up and, you know, like can uh, win uh, win a game or two from you. And I think I think if they go 500 or a little bit better, you know, like I, I still stick with a 90. I think a 90 is going to get them uh, – 
hopefully, you know, like get get them uh, uh, up ahead of that third wild card boot mm-hmm. uh, uh, to the second wild card. You know, like we're uh, I think this the, the schedule would run better for them, and that that's kind of what I'm pulling for. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah, so, Charlie, I, I have a question here. So, you know, you get to Philadelphia in, in 05, 06. You're knocking on the door of the postseason. The team comes up short. And then finally you break through in 07. And I know it took a while. I mean, it, you know, that September surge there down, the, down at the end of the season to get in. This team here, this current team, has had some disappointments in September's recently. It looks like a different team. I mean, every time it, it looks like, oh, here, here we go again – they not only rebound, but they they surge off of it. What do you think when you when you watch this team? What's the biggest difference between 2022 and what we've seen the, the previous few years? I think it uh, what this team's got going for them. Uh, I think that they got a lot of life. They got energy, and I think it. Uh, uh, I enjoy watching them play. I think it. Uh, uh, what happened in the last couple of years? We played a lot of players, whether people realize it or not. And also, you know, like. Uh, we've adjusted our team a lot, and 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 the way we've adjusted our team is to call young guys up and and actually put them in our lineup. And they might not have been playing so great in the minor leagues, but at the same time, they that's added a, a dimension of young players, energy and life and hustle, and uh, you know, like and things have been working for us. I think our pitching is is better than uh, most people think it is. It's it's talented. But at the same time, it has to be consistent, definitely, when we, you know, like get in the playoffs. Because, uh, you know, like when you're in the playoffs and you've got a, like a three-man rotation or something, you know, pitching is going to be the key for me. Uh, but our team, on the field-wise, we've got a team that can hit the ball out of the yard. Uh, I would like to see us be a little bit more consistent with contact. But at the same time, too, you know, like we have improved our defense. And we, uh, to me, we've got a, a, a great Uticus, uh, what do you call it? Uh, uh, <laughs> Nucleus, you know, like yeah. Team-wise, we, yeah. you know, like we got a great, great bunch of guys. And uh, I think the change of manager did add something to it. But uh, Joe Girardi was a good friend of mine, and he always will be. And I know that he's a good manager and things like that. But uh, Robbie Thompson, He's got a lot of experience, and I think that he he has great communication skills, and his players are very – he gives them a lot of attention, and they play for him good. And I think that we got a chance going in. Once we get in, you know, of course, then then it's up to us how we play. Uh, wild card teams have won the World Series quite a bit of times. I know the Giants won twice. I know Miami's won twice. There's been other teams that's won. So how you play would dictate everything. I mean, it's a whole new ball game once you get in. Yeah, you touched a little bit on the uh, the managerial aspect of things, and you know everyone keeps pointing to a twenty two and twenty nine start, and they're fifty eight and thirty three since Rob's taken over. And one of the things that we keep hearing over and over again is how great of a communicator he is in the clubhouse, and you know that's one of the things that you just touched on. What does that actually look like? How much does a, a manager's personality and their ability to communicate truly matter when, when it comes time to get onto the field and play? Like, can you give me an example or, or give us an example of like what makes Rob so good at that and why he has seemed to resonate so much with this clubhouse? Yeah, I think it, uh, I think it's how, how close you get to your players. I, I was a guy that always got close to my players, but at the same time, I, uh, I did preach discipline and I, you know, like in, uh, you know, like in our, uh, our team was very uh, well structured and attitude wise in chemistry. And, you know, like a lot of that goes to uh, the people upstairs, but at the same time, coaches and manager definitely plays a part in that. And I think it uh, players do like to play for a, a certain manager. And I think every manager is different. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was playing golf with Joe Madden. And we talked about uh, what a manager brings to the, the, the team. And most of the time, they are different in personality and different in, th- in philosophies. And at the same time, you know, like, do, do they blend in on your team? And you're like, and how, the big, how big a part they play? I think they play more than people will ever realize because of the change in the game. And people say, well, how hard is this and uh, that? But at the same time, too, uh, the manager has to be the leader and he has to. Uh, and he has to have leaders in his clubhouse and all that. But at the same time, when we get down to it, you know, like how how 
your team reacts to playing the game and do they love to play the game and how much do you put into it? And in Philadelphia, the fans bring a lot of that energy to the ballpark, but at the same time too, I think that the manager is the leader of the team. And I think Robbie Thompson, uh, all the years he was in baseball and he was a third base coach. He's been a, a, a coordinator for uh, spring training forever. And he's always been a buffer, but go between uh, the player and the manager. And I think that's, he's learned a lot about the game and also that gives him his uh, communication skills. And I think that he touches bases with his players every day. And right now, the way they play and, and the changes that's been made since the season started and the players that we added on our team and the players that we got off, it looks like our mix has finally, uh, you know, came together and, and we're starting to play what I call solid good baseball. You mentioned uh, quality. Uh, you could tell for, uh, how good of a uh, locker room guy or whatever for, for qualities and whatnot. How did you, you know, you came up with, uh, you got there when Jimmy was there. Uh, Ryan Howard was getting called up. Chase was getting called up. Cole Hamels was getting called up. How did you, how do you spot qualities in a guy? How do you know when this guy is like, anyone can hit, anyone can pitch, anyone can field in, in the major leagues. You're there for a reason. Um, what really, how did you, you know, what, what kind of quality, sorry, uh, did you see in, in, in players that were, were good for this team? Well, let me tell you something. As far as, uh, I, I'll take Utley first. Utley's the most prepared player I've ever been around. He d- doesn't talk a whole lot. He's a leader, and once the players get to know him, he leads by example, by hustling and things like that, and also what he, and how he plays, how he practices. And, and believe me, he wasn't a big talker or nothing like that, but all he had to do was look at the guys, and they knew exactly what he was thinking. He was that kind of leader. He was very stern in his look, and uh, he knew how to play, and they loved playing with him. And why? Because of who he was. He was Chase Utley, and and uh, you know, like, and he, he was a baseball player, mm-hmm. and and he bought that kind of uh, energy and life, and that uh, kind of easing kill every day, even kill, I would say, every day. So then there's Jimmy Rollins, and Jimmy Rollins, kind of a flamboyant player. You know, like he's kind of exciting. He, uh, you know, like he's got a lot of skills. He can he can steal bases for a little guy. He's got power. He's got a lot of talent. He's got a strong arm from the outfield on cutoffs and relays. And when you look at him, I think sometimes his talent gets overlooked. Uh, he was overrated. Over. Uh, he was an underrated player on our team. I felt like he was a much much better ball player than I think most people realize. And then we had Ryan Howard. In Ryan Howard's heydays, I always like to say that Ryan Howard's production was his, was was like two guys. You know, like because he knocked in 140 to 150 runs. And he hit 40 and 58, hit 58, 58 home runs one year. And he always usually was for four years there. He's in, in the 40s. And uh, he, he, he accumulated a lot of runs, of course. And uh, those things are hard to beat. And uh, uh, Hamels was, uh, was in, in his prime when we had him. And the year we won the World Series, of course, I, I felt like Hamels, things fell right for our rotation. And we kept our rotation intact and had it. Uh, organized the whole way through, you know, like uh, uh, in winning the World Series. And in other times that we got in, especially the second time we got in the World Series, our, our starting pitching was not that, you know, like we had to reach down and, and make some moves because guys were either sore or, or had an injury or were sick. And, and we had a hard time keeping our rotation against the Yankees, you know, like the way we wanted it. There's uh, one thing uh, that always comes up anytime anybody mentions mentions your name, and it's that you know nobody can talk hitting like Charlie Manuel. Like if if you just just get him going, he can he can go with it. It'll take it and go. <laughs> um, I've always wanted to ask you this. So I actually am a, a high school baseball coach in South Jersey, and so talk to all of our players, talk to hitters all the time, but. When you're looking at a hitter, obviously everyone has a different profile. Everybody has their own strengths and weaknesses, their own approaches, their own, you know, their own swing paths. You know, you look at a hitter. What's like the one thing that you really key in on first? The one thing that you preach the most when you're evaluating, you're doing instruction, you're, you're just talking hitting with, with a player. Yeah, I te- uh, basically, you know, like when I te- uh, see a hitter for the first time, I, I uh, probably look at his stance. And then I'll, uh, before he swings a bat, I'll, I'll, you know, like I'll look at his setup and uh, his bat speed and things like that. Uh, watch him hit a couple of times, you know, like uh, with his, uh, you know, like and see where he's going. 
And then, then I would, uh, once I see his swing and stuff, I'll drop right down to his legs and, and look at his balance, his rhythm. And then I'll go back up to his load and I'll, and, and I'll try to figure out why he's generating bat speed and, and you know, like in uh, balance and rhythm and basically where he's making contact with the ball. And, you know, like in, uh, that right there gives me an idea. Uh, I look at guys, I always say, uh, you know, like when we go scouting, you know, like we, we look at, uh, I, I look at guys a little bit different, you know, like uh, you look, we grade guys on arms, uh, how hard, how good arm they got, speed, uh, hitting, power, stuff like that. And I, my, one of my favorite saying is know thyself. I've said it ever since I was a young, young guy. And I keep reminding over and over. And I coach off of that, off of that player's talent. Every hitter that I talk to, uh, mostly they're had some respect. They're different, and uh, and and just because that they they like uh, good mechanics in one area or something like that doesn't mean that he can't hit. And uh, you've got to sit and watch them. But I that 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 guy's talent is what I coach off of. And and you know, like in there's times when I see things I don't uh, don't necessarily agree with, but I can tell you hitters like a. Like a Freddie Freeman's one of my best examples, and I look at him. And when I first saw him, I thought to myself, "Wow, I'm on, you know somebody's going to do some work with this guy." And then the next time I saw him, I said, "No, I don't think I'd do nothing with him." And why? <laughs> because he showed me power. He shows me bat, bat to ball skills. Hits the ball all over the field. If you want to, if you uh, shift on him, he, that, that's not too good because he hits the ball all. You know, like he he has a knack of making contact even hitting balls inside that left field and things like that. And uh, uh, basically I coach right off of that guy. And, and then, you know, like I get into, I don't talk about mechanics until I have to. And sometimes you can fix guys, but not even mention mechanics to them. Yeah. And, and a lot of times I believe in a lot of rep reps. I believe in hitting a lot. And the more we hit and the more I get to talk to you and the more uh, you get to know me, you know, like uh, you've got to feel comfortable with me and things like that and uh, i love the, the part of teaching a guy how to hit him watching him he don't have, never have to say nothing about me or give me any credit because i'll <laughs> see the credit you know like jim tome gave like, you credit during his hall of fame speech it, exactly but at the same time too you know like uh i respect that and that that's what happens i think that's what makes a good coach if that coach lets that uh, the, those players you know like they will they will take care of you i look at i look at uh Sometimes my success as a manager, and it, all, and, it, and it all goes back to the talent that I've had and also the players. The players are the ones that, that got me there, and, mm. and also the players are the ones that won that World Series for us. I know the organization got the players, but at the same time, you know, like hopefully uh, I had something to do with teaching to the hitters because they were real good, and I would be, you know, like uh, I might not say not too much about it, but I would be hurt <laughs> if someone said I didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Who who knew more about hitting? You or Ted Williams? I know you guys are buddies. Well, let me tell you something. This is this is a true story. Uh, uh, my daughter was going to a Christmas thing, and uh, I lived in Raleigh, Virginia, and she was she was about seven eight, eight years old, and they were having a Christmas. Uh, you know, when they turn on the Christmas lights mm-hmm. and at the White House, and she she was in a choir, and she was going there, and that was the first children's choir that they ever had, and. Uh, we were staying at the Hilton Hotel, and I got I saw Williams in the uh, bar, and I went in there and started talking to him, and I missed her her uh, uh, singing at the White House, and <laughs> and, and uh, just to hear Ted talk, and we sat there for about three or four hours, and we got in arguments, you know, about bottom hand, top hand, things like that. Uh, he was a top hand guy, and he said. And, and a, definitely a top-hand guy. He said, top-hand pops the ball, gives power to my swing. It is, you know, like, it does give the most power to your swing. And I agree with that. But when I got into the bottom-hand, whether you want to believe it or not, he, did, he didn't know too much about the bottom-hand. He didn't say too much about it. And I sat there and argued with him, you know, about the bottom-hand. You know, like, my bottom-hand, it's the first working hand, and it pulls the bat to the ball, and it creates the, the, the angle of my bat is created by the bottom-hand. And the top hand is along for the ride and helped me control, have back control, and, and right at the point of contact, it, it, my top hand drives through the baseball and gives power to my swing. Right. That's what I believe. 
And Not many just, people can uh, compete with with a guy who bet four oh eight. I'll tell well, you that. I'll do something. He 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 actually told me he says he says uh, and he used to call me Meat. He said he said, he said listen Meat. He said you hitting two hundred. I I hit three forty four. And then we got it. We, I, listen, I I used to talk to him a lot when 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 Greg Nettles and I first made the major leagues. Billy Martin was our manager in Minnesota, and when we went to Washington or when Washington came to Minnesota, Williams would always come out there and Nellis and I would be hitting kind of early and uh, and Williams would work with us and Martin would get mad because we were left-hand hitters and you know, like he wanted, you know, like, and he always would uh, give us tips and, uh, you know, like, and I got to know him real well and, and I used to talk to him a lot. One of the things, uh, uh, if you, I don't know if you remember or not, or you might've seen it, they had a, they had a, uh, what do you have? They had a Legends Day in Boston and I happened to be on the visiting team that day and with the, with the Indians. And I was sitting over in the dugout. And when Williams came back from the outfield in his wheelchair, he yes. told this guy, he said, take me over. He said, take me over where that uh, Bush guy is sitting over there. And that was me. <laughs> that was the 99 All-Star game, right? It, yeah, yeah might have been because he came back and he said to me, he comes over and looks at me and he, call, and he calls me out there. And I go out there and he goes, uh, he goes, what about that bottom hand? And I said, you don't believe in it. And he looked and he told me, and this was like, you know, like, and I want to say his last book was like an 84 or something like that, 83, something like that. He said, I put it in my last book, but, and I looked in there and my name's not in there, but he did put his bottom hand in there and how good it works. I'm telling you, that's the truth. <laughs> you got to write a rebuttal. <laughs> um, so, uh, I had a question going back to the uh, to the core four guys. I'm yeah. gonna put you on the spot a little bit. All right, we're gonna get a headline out of this. We're gonna sell some shirts, and we're right. getting to the shirts in a little okay. bit. Okay, all right, okay. Would you should the Phillies retire the core four's numbers? Hamels, Utley, Rollins, and Howard. Yeah, you know uh, when you ask me that, you know, like uh, if, if there's no way I'm ever gonna say no because yeah. I think it. I, I think that they were such a great players and. Uh, and at the same time, too, I also look back and I don't want to sound, you know, like I definitely want to don't want to sound because I was there when we won the five divisions and we went to the World Series twice and things like that. And I'm the reason and all that is why we went, because it was my players. And when I think about how good these guys are or they were, you know, like uh, uh, I in the history of the Phillies, you know, like. Uh, I think it, uh, they would uh, score big if you uh, look at them and, and, and actually compare them to other players that's been there. And also, uh, our winning percentage there went for eight, seven or eight, nine years, whatever. And the fact that we won five titles, that's been the longest uh, mm -hmm. streak of the, you know, like a Philly team has had. And, and those guys were a big part of that. And when you look at Hamels as a pitcher, he was an all-star pitcher. He was a great he, in his career. He, he pitched some Super Bowl games as good as anyone. And of, of course, Jimmy and uh, uh, Ryan and uh, uh, Butley were frontline big league uh, hitters at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So I want to bring it back to 2022 for a second. Now I'm going to put you on the spot now. So. <laughs> Here we go. We're coming down the stretch. Phillies get into the playoffs. They're able to align their rotation the way that they want to. Let's assume that, that Zach Wheeler comes back, Aaron Nola, 1-2 there. They have a decision to make with a Game 3 starter. Um, any observations? I mean, even if you don't want to name a guy, if it were you, though, I guess, what are you looking at as you, you determine which direction to go in a potential Game 3? I would uh, probably uh, – who I'm playing definitely has something to do with it. And, uh, and, you know, like in the strength and weaknesses of uh, their lineup against lefty righties. Uh, nowadays, of course, with analytics, you've got all the, the data uh, process uh, uh, history and, you know, like in, in, uh, all the information that you possibly need. And uh, I would try to I would I would try to my third starter would be somebody I would definitely just try to match up on the team. Probably my first two would be they're they're automatic. But at the same time, my, my third guy, you know, like when I look look at the way the Phillies play, uh, I, I like uh, I like uh, Suarez, uh, uh, but at the same time, uh, uh, you know, like uh, he's he's a lefty and he he definitely can get you in the middle of the game. I think he would give you a chance to win the game. He usually does. 
And, uh, but at the same time too, if there's someone there that uh, has pitched better and things like that, you know, like I would maybe think about that, but at the same time, I would not disrupt my team very much because that plays a part in it too. And you know, like in the players, I'll tell you something, uh, baseball players are a lot smarter than any than people think. And, uh, you know, like, and, and they have, they definitely uh, know what's going on. And uh, I always used to think about it, you know, like, I'll, I'll, if I try to trick my players, they know. I mean, so be honest with them and, you know, like, and, you know, like, and, and actually make sure that you're prepared to play, you know, like each and every game. And mm-hmm. uh, guys, you were talking about catching someone too, you know, like every day when they go to the ballpark right now, they should be thinking about today's game. My, my philosophy on, on like today's game, yesterday's gone, whether we won it or lost, mm-hmm. we plan today and I'm not looking ahead till tomorrow. We're going to, we're going to, we did that the whole, the whole time I was in Philadelphia, win or lose. How much do you think it's important for this team to finish strong down the stretch? I mean, you know, not just to get into the postseason, but are you a believer? And I know you go back to 2011 and people talk about this all the time, right. you know, winning at the end of the season and then it didn't translate when you get to St. Louis in the, right. in the divisional round. I mean, are you a believer? And I, I assume that you are in, in carrying regular season momentum into the postseason. Uh, or do you really think it's more about being healthy, aligning rotation properly, making sure that guys are rested and ready to go once you start playing these these high stakes games? I think I think what you said is good. I think it uh, you know like once that uh, that one year where we uh, uh, clinched our division when St. Louis was in town on the first day we had a four game series, all right, and we clinched our division. But at the same time we come out and uh, I you know like I we did rest people. But at the same time, too, you know, like in the meantime, you know, in resting people, uh, you got to remember that uh, when you start losing games, you definitely want to have some momentum going into the playoffs. So therefore, like if we have like six, seven, eight games left and we hadn't won any or, or we lost six in a row or something like that or five, hey, it's nice to have a win going into the playoffs because the positive, the power of positive thinking is very strong. And, you know, like, and that's basically what baseball is all about is, you know, like, you know, like uh, staying focused on, you know, playing the game as much as you possibly can and try to master your game every day. You will never master it, but by practicing and trying, you, you will get better. And so therefore you keep the same, you know, like the same routines you had, the same, the same way you played, you don't change anything. And you better have, like, you just got this talking about being prepared you better be ready to go when you get in. And usually the hot team wins. There's a lot of people always yeah. say that if you look, but really if you sit and watch the playoffs, a hot team gets in. San Francisco did that twice as a, as a, as a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a wild card. And uh, it's a, it's kind of a proven thing. And who's playing baseball at the right time. They seem like they have a better chance and things work out for them. Is there a team this season that really impresses you, whether it's a National League, a potential matchup for the Phillies or across in the AL? Is there a team where you're like, that's, you know, I, I know you're a Phillies guy. I, I'm sure that you think this team can make a run. But is there a team you say, like, look out for them. They're, they're going to be a problem in October. I think I think it uh, – I think it uh, probably uh, – when I look at it, I think the Dodgers are the, the – they got the, the – they're deep in depth, pitching and position players and talent. I think that they probably are, you know, like I, they got to have a best record and because they got the best record. It's not because I'm telling you they're the best team, but when I look at their talent and everything like that, you know, uh, uh, I would say them, I would say uh, a month ago, I would have thought the Yankees were at all-star break. I would have thought the Yankees were, you know, like, uh, you know, like a kind of a cinch to, uh, you know, like to win it all. But now when I watch them play and things like that, you know, like I think that they're going to have to play better if they go to win a world series. Yeah. Um, so I want to get this uh, obviously in there. So you partnered with hog Island press and artist Mark Adams to create your Charlie knows best line. I mean, look at you, what are you <laughs> 78 starting a t-shirt line folks? You can do, you can chase your dreams as long as you want. doesn't matter how, how old you are. Um, $5 from every purchase will benefit RIP medical debt. It's a national nonprofit that helps strengthen communities by abolishing burdensome medical debt. Anyone who wants to buy one, go to hogislandpress.com and go to the Charlie knows best section of the website and the official launch. If you want to, I think Charlie, you'll be at this, uh, we'll be at monkey's uncle in Doylestown on Wednesday, October 5th at 7 PM. Will you be there? Yes, I'll be there. 
Cool, yes. cool. So if, if you if you look up right now, I mean, we have shirts like Empty yes. Head, Full right. Bat. My favorite right. was If You're Hot, Stay Hot. If You're Cold, <laughs> Get Hot. Yeah. I do I, permission to offer one maybe in the works in the future. Yeah. What about what about Power Comes From Your Ass? Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, that's a quote that you had when you were here and stuff. I mean, hitting season. I know you always tweet that out on your account and whatnot. Um, let me uh, tell me a little bit why you wanted to to do this with Hog Island Press. Yeah, well, you know, when I talked to Mark uh, Adams, you know, like in Hog Island, he, he's the guy that does the T-shirts, and he's the, he's the guy that runs the Hog Island Press. Express, uh, the press, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he, he explained to me about, about RIP medical debt and. Uh, and and uh, uh, how it, uh, donating things, uh, money and things like that would mm-hmm. would uh, it would take away you know like uh, council medical debt. And uh, I thought of all the times I've been in the hospital uh, with health problems about the last ten or twelve years. I've been I've had about any kind of operation you can have, and I've always had been very lucky. I've always had great doctors. I always had great insurance. I was around people that put me in front of those doctors. And I feel like I'm talking to you today because of uh, some of the problems that I had. I somewhere along the line, some doctors had to definitely take care of me, and uh, and uh, you know, like, and I would do like to do something to help. And uh, the proceeds that I would receive from this goes directly to that. Right. And uh, you know, like I I do not want the only thing I want is for us to raise, sell a lot of T-shirts and raise a lot of money, and uh, you know, like help people that need it out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, hogislandpress.com is where you can get them. They'll get them. They'll ship them out to you and everything. Uh, any any t-shirt designs coming in the uh, in the future? You still yeah, working on something? Of yeah, thinking every day. Of, hey, I got I got you know like actually some of those shirts that you just showed up. That's probably my smartest shirts. Wait till I throw <laughs> my dumb ones on you. <laughs> hey, sometimes dumb ones sells too, man. I, people are crazy. I mean, Philadelphia fans, you brought them a World Series title. I mean, they they'll do they'll do anything for you. Um, so I mean, you're gonna. You said you're coming up for uh, hopefully the playoffs. So you're gonna be the last manager that had ever been in the playoffs for the Phillies, and now you're gonna be back up. That's gonna be pretty cool. You excited yeah. for that? I'm I'm uh, looking forward to it, and I I want to enjoy it. And uh, really, it's uh, I'm excited about it because you know like, I think it's about time for for us to get back in the playoffs and start uh, starting. Uh, working toward that World Series, and uh, yeah. hopefully things run good for us this year. I I do think we've got the talent on our team to win. Things mm-hmm. have to fall right. Uh, just uh, one of the other things, that my philosophy on baseball is that uh, no one puts a uh, no one puts a percent on luck in the game. And I I have an old saying. I used to say it when I was there. I'd tell the reporters every night, watch the game. And if you watch the game, it tells you about how you won, how you lost. It tells you all the mistakes you made, all the good things you did in the game, but also it also tells you the luck that was involved in the game. There's no two games that are alike, and when you you can have all all the scouting reports and everything like that, but today's game hasn't been played yet. And uh, when you're talking about uh, like all that preparation, that was yesterday's game. So today's a new day, and look at it that way. And, and we got to win the game today. That's true. Sometimes rain can fall during game five, then you have to pick it up the next day, right? Exactly. Two days, hey, two days later. Hey, check this out, guys. Ruiz can hit a ball off the plate, and, uh, and, yeah. and the runner coming from third can block the third baseman's vision, and actually he'll lob the ball over the catcher's head. There you uh, go. Yeah, Baseball's you. a funny game. Uh, Charlie, thank you so much for coming on, yeah. man. I, this was great. Good luck with everything. Uh, we'll see you up here in uh, for the playoff run. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Enjoy. Thanks, Charlie. Yeah. All right. Charlie Manuel. Bob, bucket list, bucket list guest. Sorry, can't talk. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one, man. I mean, listen, I know I'm a, a hardened, seasoned reporter now, Big J journalist and all, but, um, you know, listen, grew up a Phillies fan. <laughs> grew up a Phillies fan, and uh, that that guy uh, and that team was, was responsible for probably some of my best memories uh, as a Philadelphia sports fan. So, I mean, City will always be indebted to him for for what he did, and really good guy too. Uh, easy to root for, you know. It's not like a, a situation where some guys come back from the past that that helped deliver World Series, and uh, you know, you don't like them so much. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 
Charlie's a total total one eighty from that. Great guy, and uh, really cool to talk to him. He's he's somebody that you could sit down and you know pull up next to and listen to talk uh, for three hours about about baseball. So. Well, yeah, if we didn't have a hard out, I feel like he just wouldn't have left. He was just like, what is he gonna? He's down in Florida. I mean, he's in winter. Would have by me. Yeah. Would have been fine by me. He would talk four hours on the nuances of hitting. I wanted to ask him, like, you know, he, he he misses out on the singing at the White House. Like, what was the excuse? Sorry, I bumped into Ted Williams, you know? Hey, like, that's a pretty good excuse. Yeah, the guy like, bet 408. Yeah, it's like that uh, old PA uh, sports betting commercial. Did you ever see that where the guys uh, – or not uh, the casino gambling. He misses his kid's birthday. Yes, in, yeah. Lot. <laughs> Seven hours goes by. <laughs> yeah, a little different uh, okay. turn of events on that one. Yeah, oh my God. Um, anything else? I'm trying to think, rack my brain on Crossing Brawl. We got about eight minutes left, but if you got really nothing, uh, we can we can wrap this up. No, um, I mean, I well, we, we Daryl Morey's friend accused a, a chess player uh, of having anal beads in his ass and beating him in a, in, a, in a chess tournament. That was probably the most interesting thing I've seen the last day. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going to no comment that one. Yeah, uh, I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, whatever it takes, right? I mean, yeah. you, know, you got to win. You got to win. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. Cheating is trying. Um, all right. Well, hey, go out. Go buy. Absolutely. Some some Charlie Manuel t-shirts. HogIslandPress.com. Anyone who wants to buy one, $5 from every purchase will benefit RIP Medical Debt. Thank you to Charlie Manuel. Thank you to Bob Wankel. Thank you to you on Spaces, on the podcast, on YouTube. Hit that thumbs up for me. Subscribe wherever you can. Follow Crossing Broad on Twitter. And we will be back when the birds are 2-0 and on, thir- on, on Tuesday. Jesus Christ. Go Birds. <laughs>